And I think the two most foundational traits or skills or whatever for an effective leader is character is one, and then a guiding vision is the other. If you have both of those things, and then you can figure out how to express it authentically, you almost automatically become a valuable leader because you need character because the currency of a leader is trust. If you don't have character, you're not going to have trust. You can't function as a leader. And then you need vision because that's what leadership is taking people to a vision. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluviance, Alex Kremer. All right, y'all. What is up? Welcome back to the Rising Leader Podcast. And if this is your first time, welcome to the show. This is your host, Alex Kremer. I am very, very excited about today's guest. It's somebody who I've been trying to get on the show for a while, just in terms of like introduction. And I was finally able to get one. So I'm very excited to have Mr. Chris Orlov on the show. First off, Chris, what is up, my friend? Good to see you here. Yeah, what's the good word, Alex? I'm just going to give a little introduction on you. You can fill in the gaps wherever you see best. But you are the co-founder and CEO of pclub.io, which is an absolute incredible platform for teaching people how to master the craft and leadership. For almost six years, you were at Gong. At one point, you were the head of sales and go to market. So we started competing there a little bit too when I was at Outreach. And the first time I ever saw you was in 2018. I don't think I've told you this, but in 2018, you were speaking at a conference. I don't even know what conference it was, but you were giving a lot of really great stats on how to position things or what great salespeople do to actually close more deals. And you're presentation skills, I was like, I want to listen to this guy again. Grateful to have you on the show. What did I miss? Anything else that fills in the gaps? I think you nailed it. No, I'm with you. All right. I took a little bit of a poll from some people. What would you want to know about Chris? And I even posted something on LinkedIn as well, where people commented on it. And we talked, there was a common theme of what does it mean to master the art of sales? True mastery. Go underneath even just the frameworks and the skill sets. What does true mastery look like? I guess when I say to master the craft of sales, what does that actually even mean? My head goes in a few different unrelated directions, but I think they all end up being related somehow. One of them makes me think back to a podcast from Tim Ferriss that I listened probably 10 years ago at this point. So if you're listening, Tim Ferriss wrote a bunch of books, Four Hour Work Week being one of them. And he has this podcast where he interviews very high performing people from different walks of life, politicians, business people, athletes, scientists, Olympians, etc. And in one of his few solo episodes where he's not interviewing somebody, he talks about the concept of skill acquisition through deconstruction. The point he makes is that the best way to master a skill is to deconstruct it into its component skills and then start tackling those one at a time in priority order. And in the episode, he talks about basketball. And he said, the reason a lot of people stagnate when trying to get good at the sport or skill of basketball is they treat basketball as a skill. And it's not. Dribbling with your left hand is a skill. Dribbling with your right hand is a skill. Three-pointers are a skill. Field goals are a skill. Layups, dunking, rebounding, passing. All of these things are like component skills that make up the broader skill or positional skill of basketball. And I think a lot of people struggle to get very good at, say, 
sales achieve true mastery because they fail to respect the fact that sales works the same way. Sales is not really a skill, at least the way I think about it. It is a very deep and broad collection of child skills that make up the parent skill that is selling. So you have controlling conversations. You have uncovering deep pain and quantifying pain. You have creating business cases. You have multi-threading. You have creating champions. You have accessing power. You have business acumen. You have inner game, by the way, could probably be into a bunch of its own components. <laughs> I love studying that world. And that almost sounds overwhelming until you realize you can tackle these in priority order. And you also don't have to master all of them. But don't use that as a license to neglect some of the important things. But when you start getting good at these component pieces, one at a time, it's going to feel like in the short term, you're making slower progress. But over the long term, it compounds. It's like that phrase, slow down now, that so you can speed up, right? All your peers are trying to master how to sell good 101. And you're just focused on a single child skill. And then you do another one. And then another one, you wake up in a few years to a completely different skill set. That's just almost unfair compared to some of your peers. So that's one of the places my head went when you asked the question. When you think about breaking it down into 10 different components that make and you break it down like that, and you talk about focusing on each individual component, what is the first domino that you would say that's important to master? I think it's understanding your buyer so well that you could peer into their soul. What are their hopes, dreams, fears, frustrations? What are the conversations they're having in your mind that you can enter into for a real conversation? What do they feel like at the end of the quarter? If, for example, if you're like me and you sell to sales leaders, and what are some of their irrational passions? And I would actually emphasize that word, irrational. Ooh. If you really want to connect with your audience, and I'm not talking about audience in the sense of like you building an audience, although that's applicable too. I'm saying, one-to-one, -one, if you want to connect with somebody and you understand the irrational drivers of those people, you will have a far better time when it comes to making that connection. So to me, that's like the most foundational layer because I can teach you all the other sales skills and you will progress if that's all. But this is like building the Burj Khalifa, tallest building in the world in Dubai, by starting going down instead of up, right? You're building the foundation so that then you can build a very tall foundation on top of it. Mm. Because I can tell you the person who is world class at understanding their market and is just good at selling, not great, will probably outperform the person who's read all the books and textbook good at selling, but doesn't know what the hell they're supposed to say. I would consider myself 0.0001% when it comes to selling to sales and go to market leaders. If you put me in front of a DevOps manager, I wouldn't know what the hell I'm doing. So that's probably the first one. The next one, a lot of these are going to be dictated by your market, by the way, like these will ebb and flow depending on your selling motion and selling environment. Discovery is definitely one of the most important ones. I would call it advanced discovery because when I think a lot of reps hear the word discovery, they're like, oh, I'm good at discovery. And you're probably not. Most reps just are not good. They're good at qualification. They're good at finding the basic, does this person fit my ICP and can I find a need and fill it? But when it comes to understanding the need behind the need and exploring the ramifications of that and then offering questions that get your buyer thinking differently and reframing entirely how they're thinking about the problem in a way that's conducive to purchasing your product, very few salespeople can do that well.
I liked what you said even earlier is understand their irrational passions. I also want to double click. What does that mean? Their irrational passions. But what you're speaking to is like actually going and understanding what their worldview is, how they look and engage with the world. And how do you actually figure out what their irrational passions are, what that even means, and how that leads even to being the first domino that starts everywhere else? I'll give you an example and then we'll see if we can deconstruct this into like how you actually get there. I send a lot of emails out to the Peak Love newsletter, right? Like usually I'm writing two or three newsletter style emails on a weekly basis. And one of the ones I sent recently that got way more people replying and whoa, this really hit was I told this story. I'm not going to tell it as well as how I told it in the email, I'm sure. But I was like, hey, have you ever been in this spot? Five or six years ago, I missed President's Club. Unfortunately, I didn't make it. And there I was at SKO. And just as our chief product officer was done pitching the roadmap for the year to come, now the dreaded moment was coming. The CRO gets on stage to award the President's Club winners. And I watched as all my friends went up and they were awarded and they were given a lay by the CEO and shaking hands and everybody's taking pictures. And have you ever been here before? You didn't know how to feel about it. You're both enraged and happy for your friends, or at least pretending to be happy with your friends, right? Have you ever felt something like that before? And then I told like the rest of the story and people are like, I've never felt so seen before, right? <laughs> right? You're reacting to it too, because you've probably either oh, you've yeah. been there or people who have been there. That entire story is irrational. There is nothing rational about that, right? We're talking about envy and not knowing how you feel and wanting to be happy for people, but just not being able to do it because you're just every fiber of your being is fired up right now. And then you go even a step further and you go later. And I don't know if you've ever done this either, but later that night after I was done feeling sorry for myself, I stepped into my hotel room and I looked myself in the mirror and I made a vow. And I said, I will never feel like this again. I'm going to be on stage next year. That's irrational too. But salespeople, that's one of their irrational quirks. And if you can speak that way to your audience, they'll practically be mesmerized by you as a sales professional. Mm -hmm. And so the question becomes, how do you get there? This is a muscle that most of us never use. Just like we sometimes use it, it's like literally we never use it. And it's empathy on steroids. The best salespeople, the best marketers, the best entrepreneurs, the best people who are good at generating revenue from another human being, which by the way, I don't know if there's another type of being you can generate revenue from except for humans. They have this commonality every time where they enter a sales or marketing or go-to-market situation and immediately their mind goes to what is the other person thinking and feeling right now? Like, how can I truly lift my mentality out of my own body, close my eyes and step into their body and view this situation through their eyes? And what am I thinking? What's the conversation going through my head? Those kind of formidable skills when it comes to sales and marketing. And one of the exercises I sometimes do, and if I'm like speaking at an SKO or just doing like a live workshop is I say, imagine your product right now. Just think about your product, whatever it is you sell. And as a sales professional, rate its value on a scale of one to 10. Okay. You can do this right now. I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you answer this, but just do it in your own mind's eye. And my guess is like, most of you are at on the lowest end, a seven. Most of 
of us are probably eight, nine, and then a bunch of us have some overconfidence and we're at a 10 out of 10. This is super valuable. Okay. Now that you have your number, now do the second part of the exercise. Truly put yourself in your customer's mind. You are them. You're feeling the way they feel. You're thinking the way they think. You're not a sales professional anymore. You're target buyer. And look at your product through their eyes and now rate its value on a scale of one to 10. My guess is there's a disconnect between those two numbers. It's probably not an egregious disconnect, but you probably went from an eight to a six or a nine to a seven or something like that. And that highlights the power of how disconnected most salespeople are from their buyers and how much further you can go if you truly can put yourself inside their mind, their emotions, their soul, if you believe in that. Yes. What you're speaking to here is the skill set, the talk track, the framework. For sure, it's important. Understand that stuff. It's a helpful methodology that's also repeatable that mm-hmm. other people can use so you can scale. But if there's not that underlying foundation that's really about empathy as truly putting yourself in another person's shoes. And for me, I know you said that's a muscle. I don't think of that even as a sales muscle. I think of that as you're truly doing the work that is compassion and kindness and love. Mm-hmm. Like that. that's personal work. And also, are you doing that to yourself first? And are you allowing yourself to feel those things? And therefore, you can have empathy for others. Because one of the things that you just said is when I was felt that way of watching everybody else get their plaque, you'd experienced that. And mm-hmm. it was also very vulnerable of you to say that because I'd be like, oh my God, I feel that way. And I'm so ashamed. But you said it. When you're the one who talks about these irrational things out loud, people are like, holy shit, like I'm not the only one, right? Imagine like you don't sell the sales leader and you just tell some story and you're like, hey, crazy story I got to tell you. I was like on the driving on the 101 to work the other day and some guy cut me off and like the rage just took over my body and I felt like I had to get back at him some way. And I like sped up and have you ever done something nuts like that before? And people are like, yeah, I've never told anybody like that. Like we all do just like this. If you're the one who brings brings these things to the surface, people are like, huh, no one has ever spoken to me in this way before. It's, I mean, it, it makes people love you. It, what actually it does, makes people trust you. This person is just a freaking normal person. I can open up. They get me, I get them sort of thing. They feel very understood. You used a word that I almost don't like, but I don't blame you for using it, which is empathy. And the only reason I don't like the word empathy is because I just don't think it does enough service to what we're talking about. Typical sales rep and you start talking about empathy and they're like, oh, I get it. I know how to use empathy. It's just seeing the other person's perspective. They are not going as deep as we're talking. That's why I call it empathy on steroids, because there's really no English word to describe the depth that we're talking about right now. What would you describe it as then? Because there's something that I do meditation. It's a practice I do every single week with somebody who's in this group. It's called relational presencing. And it's a meditation practice. You're actually feeling your body and like naming different parts of what your body is feeling. Like, oh, my neck feels tight. My stomach feels tight. My fingers are tingly, whatever it might be. And you're naming them back and forth. So you're actually feeling your own body and it gets you in tune with somebody. And that's what you're speaking to because you're putting yourself in those shoes, but you're actually feeling what they feel. It's a deep deeper perspective of it. And some of it just comes from personal experience. If you can become self-aware enough to experience the same things that your audience experiences, but then you realize, oh, they're probably feeling the same thing I did. I'm going to talk about that with them. And if you come from a similar audience, it it can be a lot easier. I'm a former sales leader, now selling to sales leaders. So it's a little bit unfair for me. I've never been a DevOps leader, so I don't know how to talk to them. 
So from what I can tell, a majority of your life to sales and to understanding sales and to teaching sales and to selling salespeople. If you're a sales leader, sales professional, selling a sales product to salespeople, it's, it's a lot of sales. But what I can tell is you're passionate about it. Like you're interested in it. Where did you get this? Have you always been super curious into sales? Where did this passion, this curiosity come from? What is that thing? So I'll tell you a story that like reinvigorated my passion for sales. And then I'll see if I can go back in time with you. This is going to be therapeutic, I'm sure. I'm here to hold space. A couple of <laughs> years ago, almost two years ago this month, there's this guy, I'm going to call him Carl. Okay. Now, when you live in Silicon Valley, one of the things you have to realize is that the ultra rich in Silicon Valley are like grandmasters of the universe. They're hedge fund manager levels of wealth, like very big money out here. And Carl, this guy that I'm about to describe the story of fits this bill perfectly. Dresses to the nines. He wears a watch that you could probably pick up for a couple hundred thousand dollars on like Fifth Avenue in New York City or something and just exudes power. And the cool thing is he exudes it and he looks that way, but he's also one of the most like humble people, at least for his station in life that you would ever meet. And I got introduced to him through a mentor of a mentor. Right now, he's the CEO of a very big SaaS company. Everybody would probably know who this guy is or could easily look him up if I revealed his real identity. And I asked him if he could meet for coffee because I don't live too far away from him. It's like a 20 minute drive. And he was happy to. He's like advanced stage in life where he wants to start mentoring younger people. And I asked him, how did you raise your station in life so much? Because he has humble beginnings. You would think that somebody who's achieved his level of success is like a Harvard grad or Stanford grad or something like this. And I'm not going to say the university because it'll probably give him away, but a for-profit university. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like those things that like are on commercials and stuff. And he yep. grew up in like the Midwest in a small town, like working class parents. And when I asked him that question, he said a lot of things. But one of the things he said is you need to become dedicated to the ongoing mastery of salespersonship. Like you will be doing this all the way on your rise up, even if you don't aspire to being like a CEO, if you work in business and you want to continue climbing, this is a threshold skill, meaning it is a skill that makes all of your other skills more valuable. And I I walked away from that coffee with my soul on fire and it hasn't gone out since I've had that conversation with him. That was like two years ago. That doesn't explain the inner 20 years before that. There's probably a couple other stories, but I'll make these ones shorter. I realized fairly early in life, like probably age 15 or so, that I needed to learn sales and marketing. I don't know where that came from. My dad grew up in sales, but it wasn't the kind of sales you and I do. It was like odd job call center sales, like not high potential. But somehow just like seeing him do that, like instilled in me, oh, you can break the link between hours invested and income. That's appealing to me. And then finally, the last story comes from my co-founder of P-Club. We've been friends for probably 13 years now, longer than that. We were college roommates. And as a funny side story, both of our girlfriends at the time are now both of our wives. And we're like all best friends. It's like the best way to go through life possible. They live like a block away from us. We were at an amusement park in Utah called Lagoon. And we we're like in our early 20s. And I was like in this rough situation because I had just gotten tendonitis in all three of my limbs as a result of playing the drums for four hours a day for the previous five years. And that was a big deal because
because my life aspiration was to become a professional drummer and I couldn't practice anymore more than 20 minutes without it flaring up. So I'm in like this depressed state of mind. But like I told him, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I want to get rich, dude. I'm going to figure out how to do that. And he has never sold a thing in his life, but he has a lot of secondhand sales acumen. And he says things in just an ultra intelligent way every time he goes, if you want to do well for yourself economically, then you should over invest in getting good at selling. Almost word for word. That's what he said. No normal person says it that way, right? If you want to do well for yourself economically, over invest in getting really good at selling just tells you that his IQ is like way up here. And I did like that. That quickly led me to starting at you invested into yourself essentially to become a better sales professional is what you did. And I joined Inside Sales Com shortly after as a BDR. Actually, I think I already was, and I was just not really committed to it and lit my soul on fire and really took learning very seriously. We talk about sales as a passion for mine. It is learning, though. Love learning. So you start getting very into sales, but it sounds like, did you do it to make a shit ton of money? Is that truly why? Or did you also... That was what motivated me at the time, yeah. Okay. Because when I hear you speak about sales, I feel you don't understand it as well as you do without an innate curiosity to it. Like you've been studying it and you could have just stopped studying it. You could be doing the same stuff. But every single time I hear you speak about it, oh, he's thought about this. So you're hungry to learn. Yes, the byproduct is you're going to hopefully make a shit ton of money and be uber rich and have that $100,000 wristwatch, like you said, which would be dead. Which I have noticed I will never spend money. <laughs> but just the fact that you could do that would be pretty badass. So is there that innate curiosity? And why have you been so curious of sales specifically beyond just the money perspective? I like self-mastery and growth and developing yourself more than I like money. Am I motivated to make a lot of money? Yes. Am I willing to sleep under my desk and run through brick walls for it? I am willing to do that to maximize my God-given potential, though. And I don't mean that in a religious way because I'm not, but like all of us have a unique gift or ability. And one of my biggest fears is waking up at the end of my life not having developed as close to my potential as humanly possible. And so that's like the thing that truly drives me. Now, why sales? I don't really know. I don't just learn about sales, right? I learn about all kinds of things. Sales sticks with me, though, because I really like human psychology. I almost like that more than sales, right? I like understanding people and what makes them tick. And sales is a profession that's designed to tap into that kind of thing. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. Yeah, keep on being curious because we're all benefiting from it. Try my best. If that ever stops, I'll be very concerned. As you've been studying it and learning at least this particular subject, when you think of where sales is going, because I even look at how to manage a sales team in 2018 at Outreach or Gong, it was a very different way to manage and motivate them than it is today. And people Mm -hmm. behave differently. Outside of just AI and technology being added to sales teams go to market, 
do you feel like there's anything that's particularly evolving in terms of how even just humans engage and exchange, do partner together? We start giving corn in exchange for soybean. Money is no longer a thing or something like that. We're going into a utopian society and everybody just, it all works out. I don't know if I have like grand predictions like a lot of other people who do on LinkedIn and like the interwebs and social media and that kind of thing. I think there are a couple things that come to mind, though. I think we are going to deal with a massive shortfall of sales management talent in the next couple of years, not in the sense that like they don't exist, but in the sense that they are woefully underprepared for their job. The reason is there's so many sales managers right now at the time of this recording in these shitty market conditions who can get away with very poor leadership practices because the talent that they manage, the reps, do not have a lot of options. The job market is thin and scarce. And so you actually can, unfortunately, get away with leadership by intimidation and X management instead of Y management, right? Management by forcing people to do things and micromanaging people and that kind of thing. And these sales leaders, I'm almost not blaming a lot of them. They are learning that behavior gets them results, right? Humans are learning machines. They lead by intimidation, reps go do behavior, and they don't quit. So they learn to continue doing that. When the market starts heating up again, right, when we're no longer selling in a Grinch economy and reps have options, these managers aren't going to know how to deal with it because reps aren't going to put up with it. And I'm not saying it's like totally widespread. This isn't all sales managers, but there are a lot of them and they're not going to know what to do. So I think we're going to have a leadership shortfall rather than a management shortfall. And this is coming from a guy who like rolls his eyes whenever somebody makes the difference between a leader and manager. They think, yeah, we've been talking about that for 20 years. It's nothing new. But I think truly being able to lead your people and understand who they are and what makes them tick and maximize their potential and work with them as colleagues instead of treat them as underlings, I think we're going to see a big shortfall there. I think the skills salespeople need are constantly changing, right? What you learned in 2021 is different than what you need to be successful today. Nobody needed to learn how to work with F buyers who are the CFO's deputy until now. Nobody even knew what FPNA stood for in 2021 if you were in sales. And now, like you need to almost to an extent learn the CFO's language. So I think there's kind of this ever evolving landscape of which skills you need to be successful. And I think the third thing is the most successful salespeople will be value creators and the least successful, and I think we're already saying this, are information gatherers and information communicators. They ask a few questions, they relay some information back versus actively creating value for a buyer during a sell buy cycle. Yes. I want to touch on the sales leader and management issue because I think this is when I think about what the role of a sales leader is in today's age, which it just has evolved into that. First off, reps want somebody who's a great teacher of sales. Can I learn from this person? Can they make me better? Which is not going to just make me better at the craft, but it's going to help me close more deals, which is going to make me more money. But now what they're actually wanting more than ever is they want someone to coach them as a holistic person, as the individual, as Mm -hmm. I have my own unique expression, my own voice, the way I do things. And also, it's just as important now to make sure somebody is mentally, emotionally, even spiritually healthy, if that resonates with them, in order to be able to do the actual sales skill set right there. I guess I'm curious your take on what do you view as the role of the sales leader now? My first answer is almost going to sound contradictory to what you just said, but it's not. And so let me explain it. 
please contradict. I welcome it. It's going to sound like a contradiction, but it's not. So just bear with me as I try to land this plane. The role of the sales manager is to maximize performance of salespeople, right? That's the job in like the most essential form. It is you hired somebody who has a talent for selling and your job is to turn that talent into sales performance. In other words, ARR, if you work in SaaS. And so that almost goes counter to what you said is, okay, like scrap like the whole person kind of thing. But if you think about what it takes, let's say you're just a rational business actor. You don't actually care about the person. You just want to maximize performance. You still have to address the whole whole person if performance is what you want. There's this whole underrated discipline called energy management. Most people think of productivity as time management, which is important. But if you've ever read The Power of Full Engagement by Tony Schwartz, which is probably one of the most underrated, lesser known books on productivity ever, he talks about four types of energy. He talks about physical energy, which doesn't even need explaining. He talks about emotional energy, which is like the quality of your energy. Are you burnt out? Are you depressed? Are you angry? Or are you excited or relaxed? And where you stand on that spectrum. He talks about mental energy, which is your ability to focus on a cognitively demanding task for a prolonged period of time. Very few people have that kind of energy these days. And then he talks about spiritual energy, which is not religious energy. It is, do you feel like what you're doing matters? Because you will bring a different level of zeal and perseverance and cut through power to your work and performance if you have that kind of spiritual energy. And knowing that like these four types of energy are the raw fuel to put into the jet plane of performance, you've got to address the whole person. Those four quad or those four elements almost describe the whole person or at least how that person's going to get energy. So in the event that there were a bunch of just pure, rational, pragmatic business actors listening who just care about performance, that's my pitch as to why you should care at a deeper level for the people that you lead. I tie it back to what you said earlier about mastering the craft of breaking it up into the 10 sections of mastering sales, where you're also breaking up the different ways to lead somebody and develop and coach somebody into four different areas, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Each sales manager or leader has a specific skill set, a specific area of expertise, a specific way that they can support their reps. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is somebody can support them from a spiritual level. Maybe somebody's really good at the emotional level, can feel them more. Maybe somebody can just get them freaking zoned in to get focused. And it makes the theory of how to teach, how to coach, how to manage. There's four. Okay. How are they doing in all these different areas right there? That empathy on steroids thing we talked about a little while goes very far in leadership. If you treat your quote unquote customer, they're your reps. And every now and then you're taking a step back and it's what is it like to be this person based on what I know about them? That will give you different answers to how you lead that person and how you generate followership in a way that helps them become successful and you achieve your guiding vision as a leader. One thing I'm curious about, I've been working with one of my advisors and he's a master of influence is part of one of his true strengths. And he talks about the difference between influencing somebody and selling somebody. Because selling someone, you're very product oriented, you're very playbook oriented. I'm selling this product. I'm very excited about this product. Where influence, you're actually understanding who this person is. You're bringing curiosity to them to try to not you motivate them, but get them to motivate themselves in a way. How do you view influence versus sales? Because I feel like they're... I agree with everything you said. 
Is there any specific way that you feel called to take this conversation that lights you up? So as we talk about influencing people into whether it be selling or actually leading your team, you think about the leader today, where would you actually solve the problem for, for of the sales managers? Where, if the fact that we have a sales management problem, what's your recommendation on how to solve this problem here? So the first place I would start is, do we have the right people on the bus? This comes from a guy who sells training pre-selection will buy you a hell of a lot more than training does. So what I mean by that is if you have the right people and then you overlay training on top of it, it can go very far. Training does not work with the right people. And so the first thing, and I know this sounds like a little bit ruthless, but it's just clear as kind and unclear as unkind, as they say, I would start with managing out the people who are not fit to lead, right? That's a hard task Mm -hmm. to do. I can't tell everybody like how to do that. You're going to have to assess your talent, but that's the first step. And then the second one is training, especially for frontline managers. I don't know about you, but when I was a frontline manager, I had to voraciously self-teach. Like I read in the most urgent, life-threatening way possible, read every book I could on sales management because there's no program for me to go learn how to interview and hire and how to do performance management and how to do coaching and how to do deal review and all of the components of sales management. And that is the status quo for sales managers. Not just new sales managers who have been on the job for five years. When you think about their value on the organization compared to the training they get, they're the most underserved in any company because they're incredibly valuable. They are the linchpin that turns strategy into frontline execution. All of that rises and falls on frontline managers. And yet it's like, all right, go figure it out. Forget that you don't know how to coach or do deal review or manage a complex pipeline across multiple people or forecast the business or all these things you have to do. I talk to sales leaders all the time. And if I like say this talk track, they're like, yeah, my frontline managers don't get coached because their boss is an executive, not a coach. They're in 12 hours of back-to-back Zoom meetings every day. Their Slack's lit up like a Christmas tree. They get 300 emails a day. They're not coaching their people, trust me. I would say being a sales manager, especially when early series B, series A, being a sales manager, it is probably one of the hardest jobs. I haven't had any other job except for sales and sales manager. So maybe I might be a little jaded here, but you are back to back. Mm -hmm. You are enablement. You are product. You are marketing in some situations. You are just having to be the overlay to make sure everything is going the right way. And I think it's extremely hard because who's modeling it for you? Who's modeling? This is what a good sales leader does. It's also all your fault, right? Because when When I was a second line leader, one of the gaps that I have and probably still to have is like I was a little bit too fierce with my accountability, very bullish on holding people accountable. And if I would see something I really didn't like that a rep was doing or they've missed their number, do you think I called the rep? No, I'm calling the manager and in my worst self would sometimes come out and I'd be like, what the hell is he doing? I'm not talking to the rep. I'm talking to the manager. And if you've got six or seven people doing that, that roll up to you, man, it is a tough job. Second line leadership was probably easier than first line leadership for me anyway. For me, it was harder because second line leadership, I was so used to, I blame myself sometimes what my coaching methodology was. But sometimes as a sales manager, if a rep came to me and was like, hey, this is happening, I'm like, put me on the fucking call. Let's go. Let's just get this thing done. And as a second line leader, you got coached through, not yeah. just coach. Second line leadership presents all its own. That's a podcast interview itself. Oh, we'll go all the way up. I appreciate all the insights that you've been giving here. I asked a few people and this question of a thought or a question for you came up three times. And people wanted to know, 
When you think of the arc of telling the story of your product or of your problems or what you do, because I've seen you give many talks of here's the big change happening in the world and here's what the problems are, here's the products, here's the solution. Mm -hmm. Whether it be on a big demo to executives, whether it be on stage, whether it be at a conference that you're just demoing to a ton of people, do you have a specific methodology or way that you take someone through an arc? I think I do, but I don't know if I know how to articulate it, right? Because I think about this stuff a lot, but I don't have some template that I refer to that I'm like, all right, here's step one, here's step two. Although I do have step one, very predictable. To me, step one is always agitate the pain that your story solves in a way that like draws people in. And usually that can just be done by describing the pain better than they can. And a lot of the times it can be done through a story, right? So the story I talked about with the person sitting in the crowd while their friends get President's Club awards, that agitates some pain, especially if like P Club ends up being the solution, which in that particular email, it was like a sales email and it did really well. So I think that's step one is you've got to be able to agitate the pain and describe it better than your buyer can. So if I'm selling to a VP of sales, like selling a P Club corporate offering, it's basically like, all right, here's what we're seeing. It's never been harder for your people to close to your buying decisions are made way up here, right? CFO and board level buying committees have gotten bigger and more risk averse and cheap competitors have been coming to swoop in and offer 50% discounts. These are some of the things we're hearing in the market. Anyway, tell me about what's going on in your world. And they'll be like, if I'm talking to my ICP, they're like, they unload on me. They're like, that's exactly what's happening with us. And that comes with being able to describe their problem as well or better than they can, which comes from the first thing we talked about, which is knowing it really well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's you're giving them value because you're understanding their world or you could be teaching them. Mm -hmm. You talked earlier about you're creating value by telling, hey, here's what's most likely happening or here's what will be happening to you that other people are experiencing it that you need to be prepared for. So the way you're doing that. The last thing I'll say is I know the question was about like, what's the arc of the story? But a big piece of this is just telling stories before you make a point to make people value the point you're making. There's this guy named Russell Brunson, who probably nobody here knows. He's like an internet marketer, runs a business called ClickFunnels. And he tells this story, funny enough, about how he's teaching this framework to a group and their eyes are just glazing over like they don't get it. And out of frustration, he goes, okay, you guys aren't getting this. So let me tell you everything I had to go through to come up with this framework. And he told the whole story of everything he had to do to earn what it is he's teaching. And then they got it. And the point is, you will drive points home a lot harder and with a lot more power if you tell their origin story before you make the point. Mm. And it doesn't always have to be long. They can be short stories, but just telling more stories can really stick with people. Okay. So telling more stories. So name that big problem and then tell more stories in order to bring your effectiveness, bring it home. That's right. Okay. I love it. Well, Chris, I appreciate you for just being on the show. I got one more question for you. It's the question I always ask every single guest here. But first, I just want to acknowledge you, man. Thank you just for spreading your wisdom, man, and, and putting out such great content on both your website, your podcast, and LinkedIn. I mean, it's, you're doing good for the sales community. My last question is this. This show is called The Rising Leader Podcast. What do you view as the rising leader. 
I'm going to answer the question differently just because it's a cop out and I have a better answer for it. I can tell you what a couple of the ingredients are for the rising leader rather than defining them. And unfortunately, there are things that you can't teach, but I think they are things that can be learned. Those are different things. And I think the two most foundational traits or skills or whatever for an effective leader is character is one, and then a guiding vision is the other. If you have both of those things and then you can figure out how to express it authentically, you almost automatically become a valuable leader because you need character because the currency of a leader is trust. If you don't have character, you're not going to have trust. You can't function as a leader. And then you need vision because that's what leadership is taking people to a vision. Character and trust. I love that. Great final answer. If people want to get a hold of you, talk to you, check out pclub.io, what's the best way to do so? If you want to follow me on LinkedIn, go for it. They say smash the follow button. Is that what I'm supposed to say? Because I'm on social media now. And if you are a SaaS professional who wants to dramatically improve your selling and sales management skills, go check out pclub.io. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it, man. No problem. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, Send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluvians.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals, sales leaders, and founders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. And in the past 12 months, we've thrown four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales leaders, founders on not just getting better at the craft, but really working on the inner game, gaining clarity on their vision, and also overcoming what's holding them back. The best part is you'll be doing it in an incredible community of high performers who are also trying to do the exact same thing. Our next immersion is going to be this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas. And make sure you check out alluvians.co to apply there. Can't wait to see you.